0: Slash has a band. No, not the other band. This band. Slash featuring Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators. Two of the Conspirators have already been on. Brent Fitz, Todd Kearns. We had him back in the Coffee Cast, but I've switched to music, so I got the kid on. Frank Sidoris, rhythm guitar player for Slash's band, talks about growing up in Vegas, what it was like auditioning, getting a gig, leaving a gig, going to the studio, recording a record with one of his idols. What's it like touring around the world with him? What's it like being on a record with them? The whole thing. We're getting into it. Part one. That's right. Part one. There's so much stuff. We had to break it up into two. So part one this week was Frank Sidoris. brought to you by my friends at Varia Brewing. They're going to send you something really rad for your kitchen. It's a three-in-one coffee maker. It makes mocha. God, it makes, what else does it do? It does uh, the cold brew. It does the French press. You name it. You can make tea in it. There's a whole bunch of stuff you can do. It's a really rad addition to your kitchen. All you gotta do is like, share, enter into the draw. I'm picking a random, you're gonna win one. Episode four of the music cast with Frank Sidoris from Slash's Band, part one starts right now. Let's rock, let's rock today. Out on stage, I get to bring all of these people together for three hours you're listening to the brenton on tour music cast brought to you by people who love music people who make music and all things well music you still don't really know who he is but he just helped you stop drinking shitty coffee on the coffee cast so get off the john grab a ghetto blaster hit record and play at the same time and learn a thing or two about music it's the brenton on tour music cast here's bd It is some Slash featuring Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators, and I've got the third conspirator to appear on the podcast, Mr. Frank Sidoris. How you doing, buddy? The
1: third and final conspirator coming at you.
0: That's right. There's no more conspirators. You guys are out of conspirators.
1: <laughs> That's
0: it. Yeah. You have a bunch of fill-in conspirators, but the core conspirator group... <laughs> Right has been on the podcast, and here we are. Crazy to
1: consider. Welcome,
0: buddy, all the way from Las Vegas. How you doing, my friend?
1: I'm very good. It is a wonderful uh, transitional day, season wise, in Vegas, which uh, we get about usually two weeks of fall at the most. So all the leaves have changed, and uh, we are enjoying this weather.
0: Come, uh, I, you know, my mom was just down there with my sister and stuff, and they had a great time. So uh, awesome. they said the weather was perfect and rad. I'm guessing the transition time is a balmy. 80 degrees? Is that what it is? You know, it's funny.
1: Is that, uh, it's so random, but you just, no one in the world expects it. Cause I'm one of the few people that are, that was actually born here and I could speak from experience that it gets cold here. Like, you know, but it's not Canada cold, like you guys are used to, but you know, a good 29 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, but right now, um, what, a week ago it was about high forties and today it's about 76. So it's just all over the map right now. It's a weird time. But
0: you're a Vegas guy, right? You're born and raised. Yeah. Born and raised. Yeah. So has it been, you know, like this always because I keep hearing about the blasting heat of that, uh, of that state oh, and yeah. I heard about it snowing last year. I was in Vegas a couple years ago on my birthday in February and went out to Charleston there and it was snowing at one of the pubs or something like that. And I was like, what the hell's going on here oh, it was crazy. in Vegas? So it was the
1: worst snow it- we had, we received in, in years. And I think the last time it snowed that hard was probably 12 years ago or so, maybe 11 where, um, you know, the city doesn't. I mean, why would we ever spend the money to, get, to buy the salt and to, uh, you know, de-ice runways? So we, don't, we just don't need it. That's not even a thing. And so when, when it does actually snow, the entire city just melts down. Well, shuts down, essentially. I was <laughs> going to
0: say, it must just shut down. Completely. Yeah.
1: Like all Thanks. the streets, no one knows how to drive in it, too. And, and to, uh, the craziest thing, I'll tell you this, um, we were out in Paris when it happened. It was two days of snow in Vegas, and uh, my wife was trying to fly out to Paris and the day that she was supposed to fly, uh, the entire airport shut down. And that was the day it snowed. <laughs> it was so bad, believe it or not.
0: Vancouver can get like that. I mean, we get a lot of rain, but uh, when they get the heavy snow, it's it's a thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's a thing, mm-hmm. and the rest of the country just laughs at uh, laughs at us because, well, you're not We there. laugh at them the rest of the time with our weather, but uh, yeah. the occasional snow, it's it's a it just shuts the city down. So it's funny to watch. Yeah. Uh, welcome aboard. I'm uh, assuming you got some coffee there.
1: I sure do. I'm, uh, you would uh, all the octane in the world. I'm ready to go.
0: Yeah, that's right. Uh, you and Mister Fitz uh, leading the coffee charge in that band, I, I believe. Oh yeah. yeah,
1: no doubt about it. I have. Uh, did he mention the list that I have? I don't know if you guys have gone into that, or uh, maybe me and you. No, have gone we never
0: into got it. into that. What is this list you, you you speak of?
1: So this uh, it's something that I've never given to anybody. Um, as a whole like i've never given sent the entire thing over but it's uh, a compilation of every single coffee shop i've ever been to worth no, worth writing down across the entire world so it starts uh, in la and it literally just spans the entire globe and uh, so like say you were going to dubai or you told me you're going on tour in australia or wherever and what i always do you know for friends and anybody i just give them like a little copy and paste of that specific city they're in and just send them the best coffee if they're into coffee. And, you know, a lot of friends have told me to publish this or do something with it. But I actually, you know, I just don't know where to go with it, first off. But I I really love it because, you know, when I'm back in Japan or I'm back wherever, I just reference like, oh, right, there's that killer place. And Brent Fitz and I go and we re-enjoy it. <laughs> it's awesome, man. Also, you know what? You're the only person I, I feel comfortable. You and Brent, I can send it to you guys. The two brands.
0: What a guy! Because yeah. up to this point, I'm relying on Sprudge out of Portland, and mm-hmm. I'm relying on a European Coffee Trip. So, nice. if you got other ones, I'll add them to the list because I'm generally traveling with some coffee heads. And I missed you Absolutely. on the Coffee Cast. We only banged out ten episodes, so uh, this is. Uh, I, I wanted to pick your brain a little bit about it, which you know. We'll oh get yeah, back no, into. I yeah I was gonna say
1: no pressure, which but is- I, I've got all, all your answers for uh, you know a bunch of cities. But uh, it's been fun. I love it.
0: So Vegas born and raised, uh, what's growing up Vegas like for Frank?
1: Well, you know what I mean? With the music scene? Well, it's interesting because for me you have, um, like, well, I'll just back it up. There's the, the normal life that you can actually uh, be raised around in Vegas that a lot of people just assume doesn't exist because, you know, and I can't blame everybody for thinking this, but it's, you know, the strip and that's all they assume, but there's the entire, um, just outer ring of Vegas that is uh you know Henderson Summerlin that's your suburbs and that's where all of us are you know you go to school and you live a normal life but if you want it just 8 miles down the way is uh the strip and you could see shows and do that entire thing so when i was growing up here you know i was born in 88 but the 90s Vegas was when it transitioned back into a more family Vegas so for years it was just an adult playground that was the idea that's what they always called it and then not like late eighties to nineties is when it became like the family they had wet and wild, this huge water park in the middle of the strip. They had theme parks everywhere and um, tons of family uh, shows. Right. And my mom, she's a, she's been a dancer for, you know, her whole life. And then she now a producer, but back then uh, her and my dad worked on the, on the strip. So my sister and I would constantly be eating in buffets for free or <laughs> seeing, you know, shows weekly with family, you know, and, that's the thing about Vegas is that if you lived here, the only time you went to the strip usually was to take your family to go see a show. But for me and my sister, that was our life weekly. We were always down there. And and I really love it because we embraced it. And it's still very much a part of our life. But it's, uh, you know, Vegas is it's not what, what a lot of people assume it to be. But it's you could you could be normal growing up here. It's, uh, when you it's when they take
0: down the, the hotels, like I, I saw, they just took down the Hard Rock uh, in the last couple of days, or they're in the oh, process they're about to, yeah, something like yeah. that. Is that a piece of you going with it as well? Yeah, because absolutely. we we as you know we see it on TV, and everyone flies in twice a year, and they they could do their Thursday to Sunday, and they you know and they cry a little bit when the Imperial Palace closes, and then they put, you know yeah uh, they they still go up and get a good deal of the Excalibur, and they do the whole thing, but it's changed from the standpoint of the Vegas that we all grew up with in the movies, even when you see these go away. But as a resident, I got to think every single time one of those old places comes down, it stings a bit, right? Like,
1: I like the way you put that because a piece of me definitely goes with, I could think of uh, a bunch of hotels that have gone so far. It's just, if you back it up, it was, uh, I I used to stay at the frontier hotel. We kind of lived there for a minute and um, we were there for maybe, like a month or so. And, uh, I used to love that place and, you know, 2006 or seven that got imploded and, uh, you know, that one hurt, but the entire family, everybody goes out, the entire city goes and stands on a parking garage uh, across from this, you know, across the street from that hotel. We just watch it go down and it's, it's the worst, but it's also something I was raised around uh, you, you saw, it, you've seen it for years, but uh, the frontier. Then for me, the worst was the Riviera because my mom and dad worked there, and um, we would we were there constantly. Like that was, I think second I spent, home. Yeah, I spent more time in that hotel than any other, and that's uh, that was rough. So what we ended up doing before it went, we we got their uh, presidential suite for a you know stupid deal because they were closing, and we just had a huge party with all the old cast members of the shows that my mom used to dance in, and we all just hung out in there one more time, and then they blew it up and uh the hard rock, you know, I've I had my 21st birthday there, you know, I just, everyone spent time there. That was the, that center bar was the place, you know, but uh, to really answer your question, it's like, you know, any of those classic ones that are, I don't know, just, I spent so much time in a lot of them and uh, across the entire board, like all of the strip. And, and so to see any of it go just sucks. And next up is Circus Circus.
0: Ugh. And that's gonna That's there's, I mean, that's, that's as famous legendary. and yeah. that's a legendary, right? So yep. but does it also balance it with us a, with, a, with a little bit of excitement from as to, you know, the infrastructure that's coming into the city as a result of these changes? Or is it one of those things that you're feeling like, I oh, mean, that's it. It's just the whole thing is changing. It's not the same. Like, I'm curious, like my wife's in the, in the, in the gaming industry, uh, you know, and I, I know this is a music podcast, but I, I am curious from a, a standpoint of, of a a resident there that was born and raised there. Mm -hmm. Who's going to replace everybody? Because I know no one under 30 is gambling right now. So where's, where's everybody going? What are they going to do? And they're tearing down Circus Circus, all the, all the low, you know, all the cheap places to gamble (laughs) and it's all, it's all replaced with, with expensive places. Like what's next for Vegas, you know, in that whole scene. And that's, I guess a different podcast, but I am, I am curious. That is
1: an interesting question because I see your thoughts on that. It's funny. I don't know. Maybe how vinyl and I don't know if it'd be the same, how things come back around after time, after some time goes on. But, uh, I mean, you still have these places like downtown Vegas, the very first casino. And, and, you know, uh, I think it's the, I'm I'm forgetting the name. I'm forgetting the name of this place, but it was like, the address is actually one Fremont street. Right. And these places are actually destinations for people to go down there and just gamble. But I don't know, man, it's a, it's kind of a, weird transitional situation we're in because you know the circus circus the Tropicana and the Flamingo are the I pretty much as far as the strip goes the the last one's holding on and uh I mean we'll see I the shame for me is that the Riviera like I mentioned was imploded for a huge parking lot you know Joni Mitchell style Well, it's it's a shame. It's a
0: shame that they, that the other side of it too, is that when, you know, us growing up, at least, you know, every movie we've ever seen about Vegas growing up, it was, you know, uh, all the old hotels were all featured and all the rest of it. And now all your little cuts of Vegas are going to be like VIP tents and, (laughs) and, you know, the Aria and the Cosmo and people not gambling and just sitting around drinking $40 martinis. So it's kind of, it's going to be a weird, it's a, it's a weirder thing to me, but anyways, so that, so where was the first, you know, uh, walk me through coming through that. Obviously there's, you know, a whole scene there just on its own, um, bands coming out of, you know, Vegas that are inspiring you to play. Wh- wh- where does that start for Frank? Where is that like, Obviously, you're in the entertainment business, you're surrounded by musicians, your you're, you know, mom's dancing, there's all this stuff going on. Yeah. Is it like, give me that guitar, this is what I'm going to do? Or how does that start for you?
1: Well, it's funny. Yeah, my, my whole world was, you know, like I said, the, there's entertainment business around at all times, but nobody played an instrument in my family, really. My mom played the piano, but I was the only one that actually went towards the guitar. And so it was a couple of friends that played guitar. Cause I, I'm a skateboarder, you know, I skated my entire life and that was, that's all I did. But I started pick, I picked up the guitar at 15 because a couple of my friends were playing and I just, you know, I was always a huge music person. My whole family loved music just as fans. But uh, it was one of those things where like I, I needed to take it to the, my, my music appreciation to the next level. You know, it's like, I love these Alice Cooper songs. I love these Beatles songs, but I can't play them. So it's that next step. And, and once I got to play them, Uh, I, I just jammed all the time and I slowly, um, I think in high school, just playing guitar with a couple guys, it just turned into a thing of like, well, you know, uh, I'm playing in this band and we need a guitar player. So the short version was uh, just that maybe a year or two out of high school, I ended up joining a band, uh, and ended up calling it St. Rose, (laughs) like the street, which, uh, you know, and the hospital if you're in Vegas. So. If you're not local, it's, it's a lot cooler, but if you're in Vegas and you're like, your name's St. Rose, (laughs) it's pretty funny, but, um, it's not
0: cool until it becomes a thing and then it becomes the coolest thing ever.
1: Then it becomes, yeah. So think if we, if we did, uh, explode, then people would drive on St. Rose or go to the hospital. Oh shit, dude. It's like that band, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah. So uh the guitar player of that band his name is robert zakari and it was me and him we were best friends and still to this day but he ended up going on to play guitar for this band called Adelita's way you ever heard of them mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I have, it, yeah they're still going but he he's no longer with them at this point but he was the first of us to go on tour i followed shortly after i ended up joining a band called the cab so they're a local i mean it's funny because they're local they came from vegas but they just they blew up uh they were kind of you know, like Panic at the Disco and Fallout Boy, Paramore, all of yep. them, they exploded at the same time. And, um, the cab was one of them. And so a couple years down the road, uh, they needed a guitar player. And so I had no touring experience. I was actually supposed to play guitar for Cirque du Soleil. I was going to play in their uh, Elvis show at Aria, speaking of Aria. No. So that was, a uh, you know, that was as far as I had planned this, you know, cause we were playing in bands and locally, which is cool. But, um, you know, as far as actually having a a job as a guitar player was pretty exciting like okay I'm gonna play for Cirque and then this opportunity came along the lead singer was just like hey man um you know we have a space and I know you're gonna do the Cirque thing but what do you think would you like to go on tour so we just did a a run of the states opening up for like simple plan and and we ended up touring uh Canada with Avril Lavigne we played Rogers Rogers Arena yeah. Rogers well, Center. there's
0: a couple, there's a couple different Rogers, but depending on where it is, there's one in Vancouver. There's one in, in Edmonton now and, uh, yeah, they're all over the place. So, so yeah, we we one, one of the Rogers places.
1: Yeah. I was going to say they're everywhere. So, uh, my first touring experience was with this band. It was cool. Cause we just, you know, we went, we did the States, we hit Canada, but we got to play all the hockey arenas, you know, uh, Calgary and Edmonton. And, uh, then we went to Singapore and Australia did the Soundwave festival, Japan. And so I had like a nice, you know, eight to nine months of just straight uh, global touring for the first time. So this would have been 2011.
0: That was the first time that you went out.
1: That's the first time. But uh, now, mind you, I actually had met Brent Fitz. So my current drummer, I had met him randomly. Uh, It's such a fun story uh, because when me and this guy met, it was just immediately like we're friends. We just talk about coffee and guitars and music. They're all, you know, just we love the same stuff. Right. So randomly, I, I see him at a sushi joint in Vegas and um, I was with a friend who had opened for Slash. So I didn't know Brent personally, but I knew him from uh, he played with Alice Cooper. So I knew that. That's all I knew. And uh, we get introduced to each other and we talked all night about, you know, all sorts of stuff. So then he like, hey, let's get a coffee. And we'll hang. So for the next uh, roughly, I think it was like maybe a year or so, we just hung out. And there was no promise of any sort of gig. I just knew he played with Slash and we would just chat about, you know, his travels and blah, 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 my travels. And if you could believe this this is my, I love this story because it's just so uh, looking back on it, I I don't know how I wasn't uh, more exhausted, but last minute they had gotten rid of their guitar player in Slash's band. So, you know, at the time it wasn't called Slash featuring Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators. It was just Slash featuring Miles Kennedy, you know? And, um, they had this other guitar player and they, they got rid of him in, uh, right towards the end of their recording of apocalyptic love, which is the first conspirators title. So, uh, Brent, I I get a call from him like, Hey, um, you know, this is, uh, I don't know if you can make this happen, but you know, he kind of prepped me for, there was some time like back and forth, like, look, this might happen. Can you come down to LA? Uh, we're trying out guitar players. And so he gave me like, you know, there was a couple weeks notice of like, OK, well, this might happen. Maybe you could do it. If you can come down. We'll figure it out. And I was, I'm in the middle of a tour. So I'm back in Canada with the with the cab. Right. So this was uh, Super Bowl Sunday, 2012. So in February. And I ended up getting the green light. So I buy a plane ticket. It was the only day off we had. So it just perfectly worked out. It was on a Sunday. Super Bowl Sunday, I flew from Toronto to Los Angeles to, I uh, went straight to the uh, rehearsal space and just auditioned for slash uh, based on, and they took, you know, because of Brent's recommendation, he, he just said, this is a guy I know. And it wasn't, it wasn't an open call. It was definitely like one of those, like, you know, Hey, we got a friend. I think, you know, we could trust them, have him come down kind of thing. So uh, went down there and just played a bunch of the slash solo songs and played paradise city. And it just felt great. Like the guy's, it was so loose and everybody had a good time. And, uh, I just thought no matter what, you know, if I, I walk away from this, like that was cool. You know, totally. I flew, I left at 6am Toronto time. So yeah. I was, you know, I got to LA, I was out of my mind, but you know, I'm high from the experience. I'm feeling great. And we just, we gelled. And so I walked away thinking, look, if I don't get the gig, I, I had a good time with these guys. We played paradise city. I play it with slash. I can walk with that. And that's a, that's a high note, whatever. And, um, about I think the next morning I at three a.m. I flew to Buffalo and met up with the tour again, and so uh, two days later I'm in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and I get a text from Slash and he's like, "Hey man, I'm gonna call you uh, tomorrow," and that's all I get. I'm like, "Okay, sounds good, man." <laughs> yeah, are <laughs> so like,
0: supposed to function, right? Yeah, I was like, "What?"
1: Oh, okay, sounds good, man. You know, talk to you soon. So then he calls me after sound check and he's just cool as hell like hey man how's it going how's your uh, how's your gig blah 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 and uh he's like so by unanimous decision uh we want you in the band i mean how do you feel about that <laughs> i was like uh you know and i got so much going on i'm good and then i hung up the phone that's not true so i uh, <laughs> i said hey dude uh, no i said uh absolutely i would love to i you know and he just he was so cool man cuz he doesn't even know this but uh he goes well is there anything you need like do you need me gear do you need uh, any amps or guitars like you know he's asking me this and to answer his question truthfully uh i absolutely needed amps and i needed more guitars because i only had three guitars worth touring with and i only had one killer amp so i was like i don't have any backups and with running with Slash's world you need two separate rigs of at a minimum two heads uh two cabinets eight eight to ten guitars in each rig, you know what I mean? And I only had three, but I lied to him and said, no, 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 I'm good. <laughs> I got everything. And so uh, just to make sure I was solidified and I didn't have any sort of hiccups, I just said yes. And uh, through Brent and a, and a lot of friends and Gibson Guitars uh, coming through, they said, look, you know, they loaned me a couple of guitars. They ended up just letting me keep and I ended up buying a bunch over time. But, uh, you know, I, I, I really... I worked hard to make that work but you know in hindsight knowing slash now it would have been as simple as like a, what do you need okay no problem but <laughs> hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting
0: to your happy place for a happy price go to your happy price price line well i mean hey you're just you're in a in your head into buffalo and you're thinking about that gig you're not thinking about you know you're just happy to be out touring right on the other one right and the next thing you know you get this gig and so walking into that audition with slash like your minds obviously you have a bit of background because you're talking to fitz and you guys have been talking Are you going in with these songs already in the can? Were you wood shedding at home, like just on your own? Just like, hey, maybe one day I'll get to play with Slash. Or is it just you, you know, you're such a consummate pro. You got these things, you know, in your back pocket and you can just rock it at any point. And which is a lesson I think, you know, anybody listening who is wondering about how this business works, this could be a very valuable lesson for you. So, how does Frank walk into rehearsal and nail it.
1: Well, for me, I'm the uh, man and and my wife will completely agree. And, and we could do a whole podcast on this alone, but my preparation and my, the way, how I like to be prepared is just overly, it's just ridiculous. Like I, I go above and beyond to where I just need to relax and I shouldn't do it as much as I do, but you know, I worry a lot. Like, (laughs) so you know, with this, with the audition process, it was like, Hey Brent, like what songs do you, what are you going to play? What do you think we're going to play? He's like, I really don't know. And I'm like, well, okay, shit, no problem. But I could wing it if we have to, but you know, of course you want to be prepared as you, as you can be. But I learned that, uh, most of the time that I sweat and then I worry about things like, man, I'm going to be, you know, I've played corporate gigs with dudes that are just crazy pros, crazy, you know, like, they have this reputation of, uh, or, you know, whatever you think about these people and you're like, man, I wonder how this guy's going to be if I don't show up and I don't know every single note to this song. I know this guy's going to call me out on it. Or, you know, I think I'm just curious, you know, I have no idea how it's going to go. And I assume the worst. And uh, ultimately by assuming the worst, I prepare and I show up and 99% of the time, everything is way easier than I prepared for. It. You know what I mean? Like, I roll in there stressing out like learning the songs note for note and uh everybody there is like wait so how does that drum intro go again and I'm like oh man you know <laughs> but but I will say that is definitely uh helped me ultimately uh, brought out the best in me is that I I prepare almost for the worst and you know, there's plenty of times where it's like you roll in and it's like, oh, you know what? We don't have a set. We don't have anything going on. You just wing it, and that's always cool because it's loose, you know. But the way I've always operated was, uh, it's like, okay, give me the set list, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna crush this. I'm gonna just study it as much as I can, uh, and learn the songs better, as as good as I possibly can, you know. And and I roll in there uh, over overly prepared usually.
0: And I don't think when, you know, if you're doing this for a living Mm -hmm. and you choose to do it, like there is a difference between doing this for a living um, and kind of pretending to do it for a living. Mm -hmm. And then there's weekend warrior and then there's, there's so many versions of doing it for a living. Mm -hmm. And most of the guys that I know that are really doing it for a living are all the way in. And that's the same. I know that sounds cliche. It's the same with any kind of profession. You're 10,000 hours, the whole shebang. But some there, there is a substantial amount of people who get by on winging it. And mm-hmm. I think that eventually that catches up. Hopefully it doesn't catch up to anybody judging podcasts. But right. <laughs> <laughs> As I make my way through and stumble through. But this is me learning how to play guitar, Frank. So... Yeah, you know, it right. kind of goes through this process and, you know, it's, you know, every podcast is, is hopefully smoother than the last one and it keeps going. And it's like any, any musician, the first time they run a song and then the second time they run a song and then you just hope that the work that you put in eventually pays off. And I think that in yeah. this particular case, in your particular case, you've proven that being overprepared really in the end, and you've probably seen this in life anyways, that you get nervous, you overprepared and then you get there and it's not a big deal. That's what 100%. trying to trying out for a ball team. That's trying out for a hockey team. That's Everything, at the end of the yeah. day, if you've put the work in talent wins, I've always been a huge fan of talent always wins. I find that it's usually, you know, you put the time in, you're going to win.
1: Yeah.
0: And no you know, you, it, man. you know, you're going to win. So, so that's a, hell of a journey for you to go you know and obviously that was big enough going on the Avril thing because at that point she was you know doing great and still doing yeah, great and, and the she's trajectory, doing her thing the, and yeah
1: yeah like the the basic i mean cuz i've talked to a couple people about it before but personally you know mentally i was there uh for for all of this to where if you said like i i am the type of person to where if you say hey um tomorrow i need you to at least you no know, six songs and do this and do this and do this I'm like okay well I've never done this before but uh I'm going to do it or like you know I'm trying to think of a good example of that like I need no 25 songs 30 songs in 2 days it's like okay you know I got it I'll do my absolute best like I I'm going to go for it and with this with this cab situation it was my first touring right like first touring experience I learn the songs I go on tour I have a great time and then just a couple months in it's like hey or you know 8 months after it's like uh can you audition for slash? And it's like, I know that that's where my heart would be. Like I, Mm -hmm. you know, I I listen to everything and I truly, truly listen to everything, but you know, playing in a rock band is something I just, I love so much. It it is just, you know, it just felt like this would be, this is the perfect gig for me right now. I want to do this so bad. So did everything I possibly could to get it. And I thought, you know, I was 23 and everybody, um, I forget like how old they would have been at the time, but, uh, roughly like 43, 45 ish, everybody else was. And so I remember Todd even saying, he's like, yeah, like the kid, we're going to hire the kid. Like, you know, before we even played, he was like, wait, how old is this guy? And I don't blame him. Right. It's like, well, I would feel the same way in his situation, his position, but it's like, I really just, uh, I worked my ass off and, and Brent can, you know, I'd hang out with Brent and we would just go over songs and he would just really help me in every possible way to download all of this information in such a short amount of time, because I ended up having to do a gig with slash shortly after joining. Like I ended up, uh, once I got the gig and I got that call, I just was like, all right, well, give me a set list, give me anything. And I still had to do an entire tour, uh, in Australia and do all sorts of shit before I came back to LA, film a music video with slash do all these performances in a weekend. And, And I was just out of my mind, but, um, I, I don't know, man. It's the hard work. You you just, you have to do it and you have to be dedicated. Like you said, dude, it's like, there's people that wing it. Like, there's no way I could, I could, there's no way you're winging that. What <laughs> You know what I mean? Like what I went through, I had to work so hard to make it happen.
0: And that might, you know, that's not meant as a discouragement to people that are, that are looking at the and music. I hope nobody the, feels that no, way. No. Yeah. And I, I would think that hopefully it would drive people, but it's not, it's not easy. But then, you know, I think the reward pays off in the end with the hard work, like anything in life. So is that your moment then, Frank, is that like, obviously you had set out for some goals to make, you know, either make a living in music or, uh, you know, was there sort of like a list that you threw against the wall and said, there's 10 things I need to accomplish in life. Obviously slash is a very specific example of landing a big gig, but you had already had a big gig, Mm-hmm. ish opening you know on the avril tour and then wherever that was going to go from there but right the slash thing comes along and it just proves to you that you know the, i've always been a proponent that like you strive to achieve and then you achieve the top of one level which is the bottom of the next level uh-huh and then you, str- then you get to the top of that level and then it's the bottom of the level above that until you find your comfort zone where you're at the top of the level that you want to be at. So I'm sure it never ends, but this is a great, you know, measuring stick for you as Absolutely. far as like, it'll just keep going and Slash wants to keep going and, and as hard as you work. So do you consider this, that moment for you where you've accomplished a good substantial portion of what you set out to do or is just this the the beginning for you like what what is your thought on that and where you're at right now in this journey i
1: I think the jumps were, were very large from saint rose to potentially playing with cirque to a touring gig to slash you know in a very short amount of time to where it was a lot to take in and you know you never get used to it but i also think this is something for me that i i feel like is a it's an amazing thing to do, but you know, I definitely have set my sights on other things uh, in the future. This isn't the end. I I would, I would never say that. I definitely think that I'm always writing and I'm, I want to do my own thing very soon and I'm going to, but you know, there's, there's other gigs that come by and the time off and it's, it's, it's really cool, but it's also like uh, it's an interesting spot to to find yourself in and, and think like, okay, as a guitar player, it's like, I'm playing with Slash and it's, it's so much fun. And it's, you know, there's a lot of freedom within it. Like when we write and all that. And then I think about how I'm in the studio with Slash writing my own guitar parts, but if it's me and Lady Gaga or someone in that, of that stature and when you're playing with them, you're very much not a part of the program. I mean, you're there, you're part of the solar system, you know, but you're not really, I don't think she's going to be consulting you for uh, chord changes and, some ideas if that makes any sense but i don't know but that it's happened for that. you
0: that happened for you on this last slash record correct you did have a lot of con- oh, i yeah. think i saw slash talking about that you made a pretty major contribution to the record
1: dude i was uh it was so cool man because you know the the backstory is that when I, I like i said i joined when the first conspirators album was literally finished like i was in the studio with brent when he was doing some auxiliary percussion and uh and i just uh, i think it was the day before the day of the audition or the day after like, sorry, that's what we did. The audition. And then I went to the studio with Brent. That's what it was. Sorry. I'm going off uh, track here. But then the next album was world on fire. So I did the entire apocalyptic love tour. And then, uh, slash said, I'm going to, he, I'm going to do all the guitar parts, uh, rhythm and lead. He called me and told me that. And I was like, that's fine. You know, whatever. And I think to gain Slash's trust, it's like, there's, there's a certain amount of time. And he's a very, He's the most uh interesting guy I think I've ever met in my life. There's no one quite like him, so for him to trust you uh, it, it takes some time and I, I don't blame him so World on fire, he did it all on his own and then the that whole tour we would be writing at sound checks and that's just you know that's the way we write because slash is so busy it's like when we're on the road, every sound check is a is a new riff and a skeleton of a song we'll just come up with the frame and <clears throat> once that tour was over and he did the Guns N' Roses reunion, uh, we ended up going straight into the studio and working on everything. And he asked me, he's like, Hey man, I really want you to be on this album and I want you to do your own thing. So I had so much freedom with what every, everything. So like, you know, the, the structure is slash has a riff. He gives it to Brent and, and Todd. Cause you know, Brent gives a, it, it's Slash's thing is he loves to play w- along with the drums first and then Todd's always there kind of follow slash around and then I just put my thing on it. So uh, I would get the songs in Dropbox and I would just write everything I wanted to it. And then I presented it to the guys live, like in person in the studio. And then I'd say for the most part, 95% of I what, what I came up with is, is what you're hearing. And he was uh, really receptive to it. So it was, it was fun, man. Like, and that's, that's something I'm so happy to be a part of. Cause you know, I had never played on a, major album before you know what I mean like I've recorded a ton and I've done all sorts of stuff but it's not really noteworthy but my first major debut was with Slash and it was very much my own parts but and I think about like if I joined like Pink's band or you know and I love the pop world I always consider like what it would be like but I feel like it just wouldn't be the same and and ultimately my next step I feel like would have to be on my own it would have to be something that I I write and I go out on go tour and do my own thing on
0: and what a band to be, a, you know, to be given the freedom to do that. Like, and I, all, all friends aside, cause you know, three of, of his band guys are, are friends of mine. And, right. you know, to me, if I, if I walk back and remove this from the equation, he in my opinion has one of the best rock bands on the planet. And so just sheer power coming off that stage of, and, Talent coming off that stage. You've got Miles, one of the greatest rock voices. You've got Todd, one Another of the great other rock one voice. of the other <laughs> greatest rock voices, who yeah. plays a tons of stuff. You got one of the most <clears> solid <throat> drummers on the planet, who just nails every gig on the planet. You've got yourself in there providing some killer, killer um, backup to this, and just your own freedom that he's giving you. You've got yeah. one of the single greatest guitar players on the planet. This is like a mix bag of and you see a lot of bands come together but i'm i just i have an opinion and it's my only real moment amongst this thing where i just say i honestly feel like slash his actual solo band is one of the best rock bands on the planet and it's the ultimate you know opening act for anything you know Mm. what i mean that goes out and it's the ultimate headlining gig in both cases it's really Killer, you know, if you're going to a massive festival and it's Slash leading into Iron Maiden, like, absolutely you know, or something, it's like, yeah, you've been there, and it's It's just like,
1: and yeah, I'm with you on that.
0: There's no possible way that people are not, you know. I
1: think about it as a fan before I joined the band, like, totally. Like, I think about when they were going around, they were opening for Ozzy, and I was like, dude, you guys gonna go see Slash and Ozzy at Mandalay Bay? That's the coolest shit ever. Like, that sounds so, you know. Like, that sounds like a great gig.
0: And then you go and it's just hit after hit. And then it just becomes about the records at that point, because he's out playing the gun stuff before. Now you guys are playing the records. So it's a two and a half hour, you know, what solo artist can really pull that off? And it really speaks to the band that he put together. And so to for him to give you that freedom to join him making a record, and let's mm. keep in mind that, and I'll, I'll get off the topic in a second, but let's keep in mind that, Every single, single thing that he writes, people are like, it's amazing. Before Guns were together, it was like, okay, this is all Slash's solo stuff. And then the Guns thing happens and people are clamoring a bit for them to put out new music. But then Slash puts out a monster rock record, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> With one of the best rock bands on the planet. So then <laughs> it has no choice but to up the Guns and Roses stuff that's going to come out. So everyone wins. So I just that's think true. that it's it's a really cool thing for you to be a part of. And to have that be so, and I know you've been playing a long time, but to have that be relatively early in your journey, absolutely, this is, is a huge, at. huge feather for you. So
1: I appreciate that, yeah. Because and I, I sit back and I would listen to the demos that we did that day. Because every single day we'd record the album, every day live, and and it was just so fun because it just I felt like the you know you're at the top of your game and the in that situation you're playing the entire album every once we figured out all the parts and how we were gonna do it we record all 12 every day for 2 months or something like that and just tweak and this and that and you just feel like you're in your you know top tier zone just feeling good as a musician and being creative and uh, I just felt like that was such a such a wonderful just across the board cool experience for for all of us you know cuz we're all laughing everybody's got a great sense of humor and everybody's digging
0: everybody's parts it was just that's So you that's come the most up with you come man. up with the songs so you guys come up with the songs and then you press play. Elvis, you know, as a producer, right? You press play and record for everyone listening at home that doesn't really understand the process. But yeah. basically, you press play and record and you say, we've got 12 songs. You play all 12 songs. You stop. Do some tweaks. Come back Tuesday. Play all 12 songs. Take it yeah. home. Tweak. Come back Wednesday. Play all 12 songs. How long before the record is like, how long before you go, we're good? Everyone agrees? Or is it, or, you know, or is it slashes like, that's it. We're good. Is it still a collective or is it one of those things where it's like I think we got it. This is the record.
1: The yeah. way we did it was um, we would once we had all the arrangements it was just us and the engineer. So it was the band and our engineer his name's John and he was he was the best. So uh, we would he would feed us a click. You know, we walk in we'd walk in for the day. We sit on the couch, catch up a little bit. Okay, we're ready to do this. All right, here we go. And we go in the live room. Uh, put our in ears in and just uh, John would feed us the click to song one. We play it. And then if we'd be like, uh, how do we feel about that? Uh, let's, let's do it one more time. Okay. No problem. Click comes in, knock it out. And then after a while, uh, we'd be like, Hey, you know, why don't we, let's go, let's go inside the uh, actual control room and listen to that one. So we listen to it and be like, okay, why don't we try this Record it again? And then, you know, add infinitum. So we just do that over and over. And, uh, once we hit that point, it was like, okay, well, I think it's time for Elvis to come in. So we'd play the songs for him live and then he'd go, okay guys, let's do this. You know, why don't we move this here, move this here. Let's, uh, maybe shorten this and then halftime here. And then once we got that arrangement, it was, it was time to actually go record. And so, um, it's just so much fun, man. Like that, that, that entire experience was just, it felt like a whirlwind, but, uh, I loved it because it was so real and I feel like a lot of people don't do that like what bands are I mean that's how Slash works you know what I mean and what bands are actually doing that to where they're recording doing it live for the most part the entire time you know instead of just recording piece by piece uh, and then making an album and calling it a day you know what I mean we had we had rehearsed it to where we could have played that album live on tour the next day you know just a whole lot of craziness.
0: sure to catch part two of Brent's Chat with Frank on next week's podcast. And if you want more music talk, get it with me, Todd Hancock, and the Toddcast podcast. We're on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud. And this week's podcast features ABC's rising star winner, Jesse Kinch. I absolutely love what was happening in California in the late 60s. I mean, you had the Mamas and the Papas, the Jefferson Airplane uh, you had, you like obviously, the Beach Boys, they were a California band. There's Jesse Kinch, the winner of ABC's Rising Star. We were talking about that rock documentary, Echo in the Canyon, which, by the way, if you haven't seen it, is incredible. The Brenton on Tour music cast is brought to you by the Toddcast Podcast. Follow us at Toddcast Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can hear the podcasts, the full interviews, and a lot more through ToddHancock.ca. Come say hey
1: Let's Take This Outside, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at letstakethisoutside.ca. It is your favorite girl. That's right. It's the Ali Mars, the one and the only. Welcome to Mars.
0: Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, Google, or at TheAllyMars.com.
1: Because even with the new look, I'm still that same bitch you love to hate.